Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. Oh, but not today, Brian. It's a new year. And in that new year spirit, we decided to switch things up and try a new format for a bit. Brian, do you want to explain where the inspiration for this change came from? I do. So the British Film Institute, every 10 years, um, does a poll. Um, it's called the Sight and Sound Poll. Uh, Sight and Sound is a magazine that they published uh, since 1952. And so every every since 52, they've done this this poll. <clears throat> comes out in 52, 62, et cetera, every 10 years. So they've asked movie professionals to say, what are your top 10 movies of all time? Meaning, what are the top 10 greatest movies of all time? Mm-hmm. This is something that will discuss. Like, what's the difference between the greatest, what you think is the greatest movie and what is actually your favorite movie of all time? And what's the difference and why? I think that's something we talked about a lot here. Mm-hmm. But since um, then, starting in 1992, they separated out and had directors do one poll and everybody else do another poll. Um, This is a pretty big deal, this poll for a lot of people. Roger Ebert has said that it's the only movie poll that most serious movie people take seriously. (laughs) Uh, So um, So it's a top 100. And yeah, they, they list out the top 100 based on these, Mm -hmm. based on um, tallying up everybody's lists. Some of the um, number ones in the past. Bicycle Thieves. Yeah, Bicycle Thieves was number one in 1952. And then in 62, it was Citizen Kane. 72, number one was Citizen Kane. 82, Citizen Kane. 92, Citizen Kane. 2002, Citizen Kane. And then a bunch of changes. Then a bunch of changes. We, they added, they, were, they got criticized that like it's all old white people that are doing this, so you should have more diversity. So they did that. They expanded who was being asked to be in the poll. And in 2012, Vertigo took over as number one. Um, and then this, this last year in 2022, they did it again. And um, Jean Dielman, 23 something, 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 uh, French film was number one. And it had been on the list before, it was like in the teens at some point. But um, the, the number of people that they asked, the number of critics went from 846 in 2012, up to 1639. So 1,600 critics are doing this all all around the world. Um, And Jean Dielman, again, received the number one. Chantal Ackerman was the director. Um, It's the first film to be directed by a woman to top the list, although there's only been now four movies that have topped the list. (laughs) Um, 4,000 films received at least one mention. Hmm. Yeah, 4,000. You said there was 1,600 or 16,000 critics? 1,600 critics. Okay, times 10, yeah. Listing 4,000 4, different films. Wow. Um, 2001, A Space Odyssey was um, topped the director's poll, and Citizen Kane was bumped all the way down to number two. Tokyo Story was, um, was uh, together with Jean Dielman in, in the director's. So in, two, in 2022, it was Jean Dielman, Vertigo. Citizen Kane was number three. Tokyo Story. I have never seen Tokyo Story, have you? No, I have In the Mood for Love, I've never seen. 2001, A Space Odyssey was number six in the critics poll. So that one did quite well among directors and, and uh, 
and um, critics. Um, Beau Travail, I have not seen. Mulholland Drive, I know that's one of your favorites. Mm -hmm. um, I also like it quite a bit. Looking forward to rewatching it. Man with a Movie Camera, which I think is like a really old documentary. And then Singing in the Rain was number 10. You can go look it up and see all these movies. There's not a whole lot that are like anywhere recent, um, which is not that, you know, not, not, not too um, surprising. Usually if you're saying this is the greatest of all time, it's kind of tough to say that it was one that came out this year, you know. Um, but Get Out <clears throat> did make number Get 100 out, on the list. Get Out was tied for 95 with five others. So basically at the very bottom, mm -hmm. around 100. Um, there are some others that did really well. Um, Moonlight was down there in like the eighties or so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, but it's, it's a fun list to look through and, um, you know, see what, see how many of you you've actually seen. This is one thing that we started talking about, like how many, I've never even heard, I had never even heard of Jean Dielman before, before yeah. seeing that it was number one. It's like, how is this possible that the best movie, according to 1600 critics, is one that I've never heard of? It's not that I consider myself an expert. We're focusing on the last 10 years, you know, 2000, 2009. Um, but it's kind of like an eye opener. Like, how, what are we missing out on, you know? Um, and so you, and not, you suggested, why don't we take a little detour and watch some, some of these movies? And I think that's a good idea. Yeah. And it seems kind of random, you know, Sean Dealman number one on yeah. here if, for a movie that you've never heard of yeah. to, to be top in the list. And not everyone is happy about it. I saw Paul Schrader, who seems <laughs> like he's always mad about something, um, was, you know, kind of ranting about like woke culture and like this. Yeah. It feels like someone put their thumb on the scale because I guess it's a woman director. Um, who knows how much validity there is to that. But I think that part of the point of this list is to get people like us and a bunch of other people who maybe have never heard of Jean Dielman and a bunch of these other movies to go out and see new movies. And mm -hmm. so every 10 years, it comes back on people's plates and all of a sudden the rentals on Netflix and streaming, I yeah. bet, go through the roof. I think that there's some advocacy going on, you know, like this is this is something people should see and it's, it's an overlooked masterpiece. So yeah. I'm going to put it as my number one. Yeah. I don't know if that happened, but it's hard to imagine that 1600 people are going to, um, I doubt that there's a lot of collusion going on here. Um, I think it's pretty significant that that is what ended up as number one. Um, and I actually watched it recently. It's on HBO max as is, um, persona, which was number eight or no, number nine on the director's poll. And one that we, you know, talked about, um, so anyway, that is what the poll is all about. And so again, you can read more about it if you want, but um, you want to introduce a little bit. We're going to, we're going to do a series of five. Yeah, we're going to do a series of five. We're going to start out. We're going to take a little break from the Oscars because I couldn't take it anymore spiritually. <laughs> and so we're going to look back and we're going to see um, about some of these blind spots, um, mm -hmm. some of our own. You'd never seen John, John Dealman, neither have I. Nope. And I went through this list and there are so many movies that I know the name of well, yep. and they've been on my list forever. But I have this thing where when there's a director of note, <laughs> I want to watch their filmography as a part of a marathon. Mm -hmm. I want to watch it in chronological order because I feel like there's a level of context there that you can't get by watching one-offs. You know, you can see styles progress. You can see them wrestle with obsessions. And I love that. So 
when I have that in mind, a director that I want to do that with... You're dodging persona. You don't want to yeah, do one Bergman movie? It's true. I actually have seen a few Bergman movies, but that's it. <laughs> and so normally, like Spike Lee is one. Yeah. I haven't seen really any Spike Lee movies. I think Inside Man is the only one that I've seen because... I want to watch his movies mm-hmm. as a marathon. So when Do the Right Thing comes up, I think, I really want to watch this movie, but it would be better if I watch it in order. <laughs> and so I avoid them, but now I'm getting to an age where it's like, I've had this list of directors forever. It's only getting longer. Maybe I need to face the fact that you, I'm just not going to devote the amount of time. You're not getting any younger, Mike. I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> and I, I, a lot of, com- of composing this list of our five is me just selfishly saying, let's face facts, I'm not going to sit and watch 70 Bergman movies. My wife has no interest in that. <laughs> that it's going to take me years. That is something that my wife has in common with your wife. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, she's like, she already says like, why are you guys watching all the movies from 2005? Like, people don't really want to hear about those. And then I'm like, yeah, we're going to do a little series about Ingmar Bergman. You know, it's going to be like a lot of black and white foreign films. She's like, do you want your podcast to totally explode and die off? I mean, it's a fair criticism. It is. But if if she has a podcast idea, by all means, tell her to make one. <laughs> but for us, it's our show. And um, I think that, we're, that we could do whatever we want, no matter how boring with it. And so with this... Theoretically. We have, theoretically. These are not boring. These are, Theoretically, they're In not In theory, these are the boring. best of the best, according to the people who've watched the most movies. Yeah. So we've got a list of five. We're going to start with John Dielman because it's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the movies on the list, uh, we mixed it up. None from, no more than one from other director. We have eight and a half from Fellini. That we'll do after that. Then we have Bergman's Persona. Then Tokyo Story from Ozu. And then In the Mood for Love from Wong Kar Wai. Which are all in the director's top 10, by the way. Um, I also recently watched... A space, a 2001, a space odyssey, and Citizen Kane, both recently, mm-hmm. which are number one and number two on the directors, partly because I'm trying to prepare for the next segment of our little interlude episode here. But continue with your yeah. So we've got those five. They are all available on HBO Max. We're going to go through that, and then at the end, we'll see where we are. If we want to do more, then maybe we'll do more, or maybe we'll do a different miniseries, or who knows. If you, dear listener have an idea of what you think you'd want to hear, let us know. Yes. And uh, maybe we'll take that into account. Or maybe we won't. <laughs> I saw the headline <laughs> of the New Yorker's review of Jean Dielman that they put out a month or two ago mm. in, in you know conjunction with this list, and they called it, um, they described its style as revelatory tedium. <laughs> <laughs> it is unlike any movie I've ever seen. I'm excited to talk with you about it yeah. in the near future. For sure. So uh, we'll do two other things before we wrap up this uh, kind of interlude episode. First, we'll do our current top five greatest films of all time, Ugh, also known this. as top five favorite films as of right now. See, well, the way I see this is it's a snapshot. It's constantly changing, just like, the perso- just like this, these polls, they change. I mean, wouldn't you think that if Citizen Kane um, is the best... I mean, I guess the next, some movie that is, comes out later could be, but why would a movie that, you know, they, they jump around in, in spots <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. They jump around. <clears throat> and so it's okay if they jump around here. It's just kind of a fun thing. Mm-hmm. Just take the pressure off, Mike. 
No one's going to hold you to this. It might be fun for you. It's it's. Fun. This is agony for me. <laughs> I, I, I hate doing this. I'm the worst at picking favorites. The top fives are always the most stressful part of mm-hmm. any series that we do. Mm-hmm. And that's never so true than when we're looking at the entire history of not only... Obviously, the battleship Potemkin is number one on <laughs> both of our lists. Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah. Just kidding. I've never seen that before, but I want... I, I should. <laughs> you should see that one. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So do you want to get into our personal yes. top five? And then we'll finish off with a little bit of BPTGIE chatter. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'll just run through my list here. Um, my number five is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I really wish it were, though. Um, my number five, I have tied with like seven or eight others, and I just picked one. Yep. I'm going to go Goodfellas as my number five. Mm-hmm. Goodfellas was like number 30-something in this poll, by the way, in the in the sight and sound. Yeah. Uh, my number four, I'm going to go Psycho, because I need to represent horror on this list. Mm-hmm. Number three, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm. I'm going to go Mulholland Drive for my number two. And for number one, I'm going to go with the first movie I really, really loved, and that's The Godfather. Very good. So The Godfather was also your number one when we did this episode. So for our one of our first episodes we did in 1999, I think it was the first one of the show. What is what is your five favorite Best Picture nominees before 99? Yes. So there were some more rules there. Now there's no rules, but Godfather was also number one at that point. Yeah. And the Godfather was number three on the director's only poll, and it didn't make the top 10 in the critics poll, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Questionable. But I, <laughs> I kind of see this list as, I don't know, times of my life where a movie was my favorite. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it, it's which movies served as a, as a gateway to other ones, which was I obsessed with for a while in a way the Godfather led to Goodfellas. Um, I, I wouldn't love movies if not for Coppola and Scorsese. So I, I'm like, I have to keep those those two in there. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of other directors that I wanted to um, have be included here just for that reason too. But, but there's only five spots. So yeah. what are you going to do? Uh, it's Again, it's, it's kind of a silly exercise in a way, but um, I, 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 people ask this all the time. Oh, what's your favorite movie? And you're like, listen... <laughs> I'm actually a podcast host about <laughs> movies. I cannot even possibly tell you my favorite movie. It's impossible. <clears throat> but, you know, it's good to kind of think through it just so you have a little little uh, water cooler, you know, ammunition. I guess. I mean, I hate talking favorites because I, I feel like <laughs> if I sit, tell you The Godfather, I'm betraying Mulholland Drive. <laughs> and I can't live with that. So let me hear your five and then let's talk honorables. Okay, so for my top five, which... 99, the, the list we did for the 99 episode, it kind of makes zero sense because things have shifted for no reason. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to put All the President's Men as number five. Okay. Um, I love great mystery journalism movie. Empire Strikes Back is my number four. Um, far superior to A New Hope, despite what, mm. what you might think. Not actually, my favorite. Not actually my favorite. recently just watched A New Hope. We, we do this as a family. The Death Star explodes at, the, at midnight. <laughs> okay. um, but Empire Strikes Back has, it just takes it to a whole new level. Um, my number three is The Shining. Nice. Um, I, I was kind of debating whether I would go with uh, 2001, but 
I figure, you know, I have my sci-fi in there with Empire Strikes Back. And Kubrick, I have my Kubrick. You don't want to put two Kubricks. Yeah, I can't put two Kubricks. I'm surprised and, to see The Shining on there, though. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a big fan of The Shining. I love the way it looks, and I love the uh, the great twists of um, all Jack, all, all, all work and no play. <laughs> um, my number two, which, again, this was lower on my other list, but I just put it in as Annie Hall's number two. Nice. It's one of the movies that makes me laugh out loud the most. And number one, Birdman. Number one. Number one. Wow. I'm just so excited about this movie. It's very recent. So obviously, you know, it shouldn't be my number one because you're supposed to go back in time a little bit. You know, this stood the test of time. It's kind of one of the rules, but it has, it's movie about art. It's got, to me, Emma Stone, BPTGIE candidate. Edward Norton in my favorite role of his. Mm. Um, it's got the kind of quasi-supernatural, you know, strangeness to it. The heartbreaking look at a past, you know, success. It just has everything. The strange drums throughout, the long shots. I mean, it just has everything in there. And it, it hits me emotionally, too, because of the... And Keaton. The, the, and Michael, you yeah. didn't well, even mention well, Keaton. He's at the heart of the whole thing, of course. So, yeah, for now, today... This day when we're filming or I'm recording this, I'm saying Birdman. My, my I, I number like one. it. It's bold. It would have been very boring if you would have said Citizen, Citizen Kane, Kane as I your know. number one. I know. Give it would me have been. a break. I actually just watched Citizen Kane um, in about five sittings. Uh, three of them. <laughs> the while, way the director intended. Three of them while exercising, <laughs> one late at night and one on my phone in the car. So yeah, basically just how how Orson Welles wow. was thinking it might be watched someday, but um, there it was more emotionally impactful than I had remembered the last time. And some of the I, I know that they always talk about deep focus and everything, and mm -hmm. you know the innovations there. Um, but a lot of just the composition of the shots uh, was much more engaging than I had even remembered. So. Yeah, that's I, I do one, like it. It's been a while for me. That and 2001 yeah. are ones that I feel like I need to go back because I, I was probably a teenager the yeah. last time I saw them. And so well, everything before yeah. like 18, I don't count. Actually, that is one of the reasons that I like Citizen Kane and 2001 a lot. And also All the President's Men, because those were kind of like, I felt like some, some of the first kind of grown up movies that I watched as a teenager where I kind yeah. of felt like I was appreciating them in a, mm -hmm. in a different way from just like, kid movie or something oh yeah um that's huge i mean yeah. th those those formative movies but also the formative directors the ones mm -hmm. that kind of make you want to explore more you know find people that might be like them or who does this who does this what directors does that does this director that i like like mm -hmm. and that opens up so many different doors so for my honorables i guess my two um formative directors that i wanted to fit in here but i didn't were uh Tarantino and Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. So I thought about Annie Hall and I thought about Reservoir Dogs, surprisingly enough. It's mm -hmm. like the most stripped down kind of non-Tarantino Tarantino movie when you look at it. I have not it. seen Reservoir Dogs. Oh, it's, it's great. But that that's one of those mm -hmm. early high school watches that, you know, blew my mind open. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I love movies now. Um, so which Woody Allen movie comes to mind for you then? I put Annie Hall, Annie Hall as, yeah. as kind of my go-to there. Um, that was that was one that was on both our lists in the when we did the first episode. Yeah, and sort of similar in that kind of rom-com vein. I have The Apartment as one of my possibles. I have It's a Wonderful Life as, as an honorable mention. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I went a little 99 crazy here with The Matrix and Fight Club. Mm -hmm. I considered them. They didn't make mm. it, but I thought about them. Well, um, you certainly couldn't have put Fight Club in your top five over The Matrix <laughs> when yeah. you put Matrix over the Fight Club for 99. It's true. That would be impossible to do. It's true. You you have to respect your previous <laughs> rankings at all times. <laughs> well, I clearly did not. So, you know. And a sleeper that I wasn't, I was surprised that I was considering. I thought to myself, should I put Punch Drunk Love on this list? Mm. And I wanted to. Hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't do it when it really <laughs> came down to it. But that, like I said, that fifth spot. Well, you're tipping your a, hand. You're also tipping your hand a little bit with these movies for our decade in review. It's true. It's Punch true. Drunk Love, you mentioned, Eternal Sunshine and Mulholland Drive all have been brought up in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're probably going to be on that list. Well, here's, Spoiler alert. here's a list. Here, here's Casablanca was among my, you know, nearly made list. Uh, Rear Window. I really wanted to put a Hitchcock on there. And it's kind of hard. Rear Window is, I think, just simpler to kind of understand than Vertigo for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and same thing with Psycho. Psycho just kind of takes these strange turns. Hmm. Uh, rear window, the simplicity of it. And I think that when I watched that for the first time, when Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart is there and it's in the dark and his would be murderer is coming toward him. I think that's one of the scariest scenes that I remember <laughs> when I was, when I was a little bit younger, when I first yeah. saw that, when I, when I remembered feeling like truly scared during the movie. And the whole courtyard set is yeah. so cool. It's and so simple, but it's just so perfect. Yeah. 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 Um, and it encapsulates so many Hitchcock obsessions there yeah. with, you know, him looking <laughs> through the lens the whole yeah. time. It's, it's great. The other thing, the other movie that again, makes no sense based on my previous rankings, but I really considered putting There Will Be Blood in the top five, my top five favorites, mm -hmm. even though it was number two in my 2007 list. And you didn't consider No Country? Does, no, All right. I didn't consider it, it, which I don't know why that is. I think There Will Be Blood is sort of like, it's one of the movies that makes me the most uncomfortable yeah. of any movie that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And there's no relief to it. You know, No Country has these kind of like a few quirky things in it that make it kind of have a little bit of relief. And there will be blood just gets like pound you harder and harder and harder. But it's also, I don't know, there's something about it that says it kind of screams out greatness in a way that maybe is almost distracting in a way, but is, uh, I don't know, makes it certainly makes it a candidate. So anything else you want to say about uh, your five favorites? I won't say anything else with my five, but I will say the list, the BFI's list has Hitchcock, it has Vertigo, it has Rear Window. That's three Hitchcock's cards. has Psycho. Wait, did I say, yeah, I said, said Hitchcock instead of Psycho? It has, it has Psycho, Psycho, Vertigo, and Rear window. window, and North by Northwest. Yes, it does. Kick North by Northwest out of there. First of all, three direct, three from the same directors hey, feels like a lot. That tells you that critics put North by Northwest in there enough to put it in the middle of the, of the pack. You could find room for another movie. I don't think we need four Hitchcock. Oh, wait. Notorious is on the list, too. Is Five. It? Wow, yeah. Five. Get North by Northwest out of there. It's the weakest <laughs> of the bunch by far. It, Let's it is. find room for something else. It is weakest of those four for sure. <laughs> All right. BPT GIE. Yeah. So we, we came up with this when I forget what movie, but it was with Catherine when Catherine Keener was was on the screen. Mm -hmm. And we're like, she is good in everything. Yeah. So then it became a, a little label here. And I keep meaning to like draw little characters and put them on a t-shirt and make millions of dollars on BPTGIE t-shirts. 
Haven't done it yet. So Catherine Keener was kind of the first one where we're both like, yeah, she is good in everything. Um, that led to two others that I think these are the first three. Paul Giamatti, mm-hmm. I think probably after the sideways discussion, maybe. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's almost cheating because he has sort of been like the leading man more so than the other two. Catherine Keener is, is never the leading woman, it seems like. But he he seems like he's got, I mean, he's got Capote, you know, he's got best actor credentials to him. Yeah. Um, most of these don't have that even opportunity. So maybe he's a little bit cheating, but um, our, you know, our, I don't know if we're putting these in some sort of pantheon, like they're officially BPTGIE. Oh, I think they have to um, be in an official pantheon or else <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Did you you have uh, a few others or one or two or something that you I think had, you want to add to the list? I had a few. Um, we mentioned Peter Sarsgaard in the mm-hmm. in education episode. I think he's got to be on the. I'll have to wait and see a minute because I need to kind of review his filmography. It's, that's fair. Yeah. Another one I thought of, which I wasn't sure if he was too big. Ralph Fiennes, is he too big? Because he is good in everything. I don't and think he's very too different big. in everything. I mean, he has. He's got a little bit of Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, to him as far as how big he's been in different things. But yeah, he he plays the really creepy guy. I mean, the 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 uh, the role that is actually coming to mind first is in Bruges. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but, uh huh. But yeah, he he's played a very big variety. I mean, he's like the he's the heartthrob. Uh, uh, um, romantic interest in some, and then he's he's that he's that wildly different as the kind of crazy murderer type guy. Yeah, plays so a great he's, bad guy. He's definitely an interesting choice. Here is a good one that mm-hmm. I don't think that you could argue with. Okay, Joe Pantoliano, The Matrix, Memento, Sopranos. I mean, just right there, just those three. If he's not inducted on the <laughs> on the strength of those alone, I quit the show. <laughs> I, I think he's kind of a wait and see on my Ooh. mind as well. Ooh. I mean, he's, he's, I guess it's not a great Joey in everything. Pants? It's a good in everything. A, a wait and see on Joey Pants? <laughs> uh, the, the others that came to mind for me were John C. Riley. Oh, yeah. Based yeah. on The Hours and The Aviator. And I didn't actually do Gangs of New York, but Chicago also. This was in the 2000 to 2009 where we're talking about that. That's kind of one of my, one of my thoughts was. Ideally, for you know, we should add to people mm-hmm. as they are great in things that we have been doing episodes on. I'm going to tell you what I'm willing to put John C. Riley straight into the straight pantheon in. right now. So we're agreeing on John C. Riley. We're, we're all in. Agreement. I'm going to I'm going to copy his name and I'm going to paste it right <laughs> in the other four. So now there's four officials. Four officials: Catherine Keener, Paul Giamatti, Philip Seymour Hoffman, John C. Riley. So does that before we go on? Does that mean that we only have one spot left? <laughs> For now, until round two, which is going to happen at at a uh, I think to be determined. I time. think maybe so. Maybe we should limit it to five. Okay, and then we'll decide later. So here's my other candidate, John Malkovich. I like him, but pass. Wait Who else you got? Yeah. The other one was Viola Davis, who I already suggested to you, but and you already kind of gave a pass on. But for the record, I thought I should bring her up in this show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, she doesn't have a lot going between 2000 and 2009. Doubt was kind of like the big one. Um, she has a little small role in Traffic, 
as a social worker talking to the teenage daughter. Um, that's been quite some time ago and it's not a big role. Um, I know, but I think look, at one point you mentioned Paul Dano. He's interesting. And I, I will say that he fits the mold. Yeah. But I'm hesitant. Out of the people that we're talking about right now, I think the most that I would go with is Ralph Fiennes. Because yeah. I think that he has a certain intensity to him that's mm. memorable more so than some of the other mm-hmm. some of the others. So I would probably lean in that direction for number five if I had to. Yeah, I think the danger here is is we don't want to fill the list with character actors, yeah. and that's it. So I, I do like having a Ralph Fiennes in there, and even a Philip Seymour Hoffman, even though the Hoffman feels like we're cheating. Yeah, it's not like, oh, Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's too, he's way too big. I think Catherine Keener and John C. Riley are like the perfect. The quintessential. Yes. Paul Giamatti's kind of mid- middle because he's almost a little bit too big. Because he's been kind of like sideways. He's, he's the, the guy in sideways, but still small enough that I think he's safely in the category. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So are we putting Ralph Fiennes in? Or I think are, so. Are we agreeing? Let's go with Ralph Fiennes. Uh, let's, all right. Ralph Fiennes I'm is in there. Him in. So our five, we're going Catherine Keener, we're going John C. Riley, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Paul Giamatti, Ralph Fiennes, mm-hmm. and that's five. That's the five. They're officially on the list, so I can officially start making that T-shirt. You can make the T-shirt, and, and then we will have another round of BPTGIE <laughs> without any announcement or warning. Whoa. Is just going to drop at midnight? Just one day, <laughs> there will be another BPTGIE uh, decision. Sounds good. So, <clears throat> again, taking a break from our... Um, so we're going to have to come up with like a different intro? Yeah, I don't know. Seems like work. Well, then you'll say, but not today, Brian. We're going to talk about persona. Yeah, that's true. Oh, we'll come up with something. All right. Well, we got in a week or two to decide. So anyway, um, if you want to, uh, do we do our intro? I guess we should do our outro. I mean, I guess. is this show about the show? In the next episode, we're going to talk about Jean Dielman. I'm just going to skip to thanks to WNCF <laughs> and the illustrious Mark Gelland for producing. And also, please remember to rate, subscribe, and review the show. And thanks for listening to Best Picture This. Until next time, remember that, of course, the best movie of all time is, is The, the Bar- Birdman. <laughs> <laughs>